The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Find Numbers chapter number 23 tonight, Numbers chapter number 23, and we're continuing in Bible beginnings and going through the first five books of the uh, of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch, right? The Pentateuch, and Moses wrote these books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 23 and verse number 21. Let's find our place there. Deuteronomy 23 and verse number 31. And let's read a couple of verses here. Deut- uh, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 23 and verse number 21. Numbers 23, verse 21 And the Bible says this, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen um, perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of the king, of a king, is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He, uh, He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel according to this time it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel what hath God wrought and God's protection and God's and just these verses noting the idea that God's protection and blessing has been upon upon them this is right out of the uh, the blessing and the statements that Balaam had towards um, the people of Israel. If you remember, we'll talk about this a little bit at the end. If you remember, at the end of Numbers, we had this kind of unique scenario where Balaam is called by Balak to um, bring a curse against the people of Israel. And God, every time he opened up his mouth, uh, gave, uh, gave a blessing to this man. And what an amazing twist and turn of events that was. Numbers chapter 24, just a chapter over, verse number 16 He's, uh, he hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty failing, uh, uh, falling in, into a trance and having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star, notice there, capitalized, a star out of Jacob and a scepter, it's capitalized, shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession, Seir shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And here another, another one of his blessings where he is noting who uh, God would bring uh, to rescue and to be the, the uh, deliverer of Israel and really all the world, uh, looking forward to the, uh, the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting as we, as we look at the book of Numbers, it is full and again points to the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll see how that happens multiple, uh, multiple times. But I want us to get this before we jump into the book of Numbers. I want us to understand this, that the world as a whole, those that are against God, really don't want to hear from God. They would rather put God's word aside. They would rather uh, um, put it to the side and out of their listening, they're not going to willingly or you know, just say, you know, I want to go hear a, a Bible message today. You know, they, uh, the world as a whole wants to put God to the side. They don't want to hear his words and his clear demands and his questions and, his, uh, and, and, and so forth. They want a God that is, that is silent. And the fact of the matter is, if they cannot get uh, God to be silent, if they can't get him not to speak, uh, speak uh, the uh, fact is that they, 
they will want to shape his words to, uh, to, to their own liking. We see that happening all over uh, our world today, where people shape God's word to their own liking. You take a politician or you take someone that is a leader, and, and when it's convenient to them to take God's word and use it, <laughs> use it in their own way to get across their message, you hear that, and sometimes you're like, you know what, that's not really what that verse says at all, uh, and, and they're using that to their own liking, they're shaping it, but they don't want to hear God. You know, when a, when a person that is, that is so against God, maybe up in Washington, so against God, uses the word of God, um, pretty, uh, pretty often you can, you can just understand that they are trying to shape God on God into their own little box to use it, you know, a, as a matter of convenience for, for them. So when Israel's going through the, the wilderness, well, God is, he's speaking to them. And he's speaking against their waywardness, their rebellion, their complaining, their murmuring, all these different things. And sometimes they would rather just not, not hear him at all. But God is speaking. God is working in their lives. And you know what we are doing even as we go through these, um, these overviews, these, these uh, 5,000 foot views of these different books. We are looking for God to speak into our lives. We want to hear from him. We want him to speak into our hearts. We want to know what he is, he is saying, and we're discovering the grand narrative of Scripture that is all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and pointing to how we can find redemption in him, but also find how we can worship him and be what God wants us to be. And so we're learning on every page the message of Scripture, and we want God to speak to us, and we want to bring that message to other people and help them to realize God isn't, God isn't, I was moved by this today as I think we're going into this month that they call Pride Month. And everyone's jumping on the bandwagon to, you know, uh, you know, to put out their, their statement of support for this. And I was thinking about this today. You know, the world around us uh, you know, immediately expects for us to you know, just condemn them, right? And I'm against that sin. I'm against homosexuality. I'm against the, um, the Pride Month. I'm against all that. It's, it is nothing to be prideful of. It is very shameful. But you think about that. The world expects the condemnation. If you turn over to John chapter 3 and verse number uh, 16 through 18, you're going to find that it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to do what? To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then it goes on to say, The real condemnation happens as a man chooses to reject him. I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want what you're saying. And, and that's the person that's condemned, is the person who chose to refuse God. And so it's amazing to me as we live in a world that doesn't want to hear God, they expect the Bible believers to you know, throw, out a, uh, throw out verses and throw out uh, you know, opposition to all these things, and they don't want to hear God. It's amazing to me uh, the world in which we live, but God wants them to know so he can deliver them, that the world might be saved, that they might be rescued, that they might be delivered from all that's uh, afflicting them. And Israel, over and over throughout the, the wilderness wandering that we'll see here in Numbers, was constantly getting themselves in the messes that if they would have just listened to God, it would have been all right. And how many times are we the same way? You know, if we were to take a, if we were to Google map our, our plots through life, through our, our spiritual journey, you can do that on, uh, on Google. You can plot where you, you know, where you want all, your journey. If we were to journey our spiritual map through our lives, through all 70 years, it'd be amazing all the, the wandering that we do uh, spiritually. It'd be amazing if we just listen to God, if we just heed his, his voice. Whenever we get into the point in our lives where we're, we're not listening or we're rejecting that voice or we just don't really care to hear it, 
uh, we're not in a good position. And that's where Israel was much of, uh, much of this time. Ah, come on, Moses. Come on, Moses. Quiet down. We don't want to hear this again. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless our time as we dive into the book of Numbers and, and look at what God's saying to us tonight. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. And I pray that you just quiet our hearts. And I pray that you give us a, a desire to hear you, to hear your word, and Lord, to, to receive instruction that we might be wise. And Lord, publicly, just right now, we again pray for our dear sister. We pray for Miss Gale. We pray for complete healing and restoration. We pray that you lift her up. And pray for Miss Joanne as well as she recovers. Uh, lift these ladies up. Lord, they're dear to you. You said you know our frame. And uh, Lord, you also told us that you are the great physician. And so we acknowledge that tonight. Without you, we can do nothing. Lord, I pray that in each case, Lord, that you'd receive glory in front of those that do not believe you yet and that they would turn to you as a result of what you do in these ladies' lives and how you help them. So, Lord, we just lift them up to you and, and also their families. We pray that you would give strength right now, emotional, spiritual, and physical strength. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's review for a second. The Bible's big picture is salvation. It's ultimately redemption. It's a story of redemption. Uh, the gospel is what everything is pointing to. Everything's pointing to Jesus Christ. Every page, Jesus Christ is on it. There is types of Jesus Christ. Everything's pointing in that way. Genesis 3 and verse number 15, immediately after the, on the sun in the garden, we find that Jesus, a deliverer that would crush the head of Satan, would uh, one day come and deliver his people from their sin. And so as we open up in Genesis, we find God to be a covenant God. A covenant God, one who goes all the way, doesn't leave it to man, he goes all the way. He walks all the way through that, that covenantal experience that he had with, uh, with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. He walks all the way through. He, he has them split the animals and he walks all the way through, showing that God would go all the way in this matter of the covenant and he would simply have to express faith in what God was offering to him. In spite of the fall, God's heart was faithful. Exodus, we see redemption. We see our sin. God promotes that. He shows in the law at Mount Sinai. He says, this is, this is your sin. Thou shalt not do this and this and this. And when you do, it is sin. Sin is transgression of the law. We see our substitution in the sacrificial system that he sets up. We see our Savior as all those sacrifices are happening, especially the Passover sacrifice, as we look forward to what would happen at Calvary, Jesus becoming the Passover lamb. Leviticus, we see the holiness of God. We see the mediation of the priesthood between God and man, but ultimately how Jesus Christ will be our high priest and that there's no other mediator between God and man but the man Christ Jesus. And we see the mediation between God and man and the sacrifice, God's sacrificial love on behalf of man and their sacrificial worship back toward, uh, toward God in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, remember, is a book of instruction. It's a guide. It's not a narrative. It's a guide. So there's much, even as we'll go through that uh, in the next several weeks in our Bible plan, uh, Leviticus is a guide. It's, a, it's an instructional book. Numbers has a lot of narrative in it, but it is a, as well a, is a, a book that, that, that details the wanderings of the Israelites through the, through the wilderness. And so Numbers, we find, is, is this. It is God's faithfulness God's faithfulness and his patience in spite of our failures. Now, we all need that. We all need that tonight. 
we all have failures. We need God's faithfulness. But he has a whole book where with a million plus people, he is showing that he is able to be faithful with them. And he's able to be patient with them. And continually, uh, and when they, they deserve to be wiped out, he didn't wipe them out. Uh, when it made sense to, um, to wipe them out, he didn't do that. He didn't walk away. God was faithful. Now, the word numbers uh, in the Hebrew literally means in the wilderness. In the wilderness. And so it's not just a, a book uh, that um, details uh, uh, the statistics and so forth. It is a book that, that means in the wilderness. It was written by Moses. It was a travel log. It was a travel log. I used to, uh, we used to take vacations as a family in an old, and I don't know if it was a, a, a Jeep brand. Does anyone remember the travel laws? What, 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 uh, what brand was that? Well, anyway, I remember as a kid, that thing had the wood paneling on the side, right? You get the picture, that old, it wasn't a station wagon. It was, a, it was like, a, it was like a, uh, it predated SUVs, I guess. And uh, it, we used to drive that thing to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I just remember calling it the travel log. You know, that's what, that's what came to mind. And so I, I think about, the, but Numbers legitimately is a travel log of all the different wanderings of the, the, of the people of Israel through the wilderness. And so it's really an epic thing because this week should have only taken, on this, uh, this trip, this, this journey should have really taken somewhere around maybe two weeks. They could have accomplished it. But you know what? For 40 years, they are out there uh, year after year uh, camping and, and uh, walking. All It's just amazing what was going on. Give me the map. That's, I, I believe, the next, uh, the next picture. And notice this. They come down from Egypt. They go all the way down to Mount Sinai where God gives the law. They go up to Kadesh Barnea in per, uh, the area of Paran. They go back down to Elath, up into uh, to Edom and Moab and up um, beside there, beside the land of Canaan. They're making all these journeys. and They're taking all this time. Now this, this shows a pretty direct route. It looks like what's all the circling? They're they did a lot of different traveling in there and just move, you know, t on taking a bunch of time, wasting time. You think about uh, kids, sometimes you tell them to do something, and it should be a point A to point B type of thing, and they do. You know, you understand. You understand exactly how God must have felt looking down on, on the children of Israel wandering around. Just go there and trust me, it's there, right? But that's not what they were doing. They were, they were wandering about. And this wandering came because they refused to go in at God's command into the, into the land of Canaan. They didn't believe God. When God said go up, up in Paran, when God said go, we'll see this in a moment. When God said go in, they said, nope, the giants are too big, we can't go. And what a wonderful illustration to, uh, to you and to me that the things that God calls us to do, he will enable us to break through. And I'll tell you how many times do we come in our lives and we feel like there's no way we can go, on go there. There's no way we can take that step forward, but if we would we'd find God's strength to be sufficient there. And so it's a travel log of all these different things. The, the narrative, the historical narrative that begins uh, here in the book of Numbers starts about one year after the Exodus. So I realize that Exodus, and then you have Leviticus, and you have that, that time frame there, all that book of instruction. But if you will, Exodus happened in 1446, you have that from, uh, from some pretty solid dating, 1446. But then about 1447 is where the story of Numbers actually begins. And then it carries through about 30 years of, of Israel's history. And, uh, and so uh, it cuts out um, before the end of, 
uh, before the end of their time. Then we get into Deuteronomy, before the end of their time in the, in the wilderness. The audience is younger. It's a younger generation. By and large, uh, it is, is written to those that, that had grown up. The older generation, remember what happened to them? They all died. Uh, it, was a, it was a lucrative business to be in the, uh, in the undertaker business during that time. I mean, in 40 years' time, I'm, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. We're talking about major amount. The obituary section in the, in the uh, Israeli times, <laughs> in the, the wandering times, whatever you want to call it, uh, the, the, the wanderer's chronicle, uh, it, was, it was significant because we're talking a million uh, somewhere around a million or you know, somewhere less than that of, of people that were, were dying because of their unbelief. And who did not die? Joshua and Caleb did not die. And, and along with them and this younger generation is the audience that we're talking about. The, the point of the narrative here in Numbers is that God is teaching his people how to live in relationship with him, how to worship him, how to serve him, how to trust him when everything seems like it's going wrong. When there's no water, you can still trust God. When there, there, there doesn't seem to be a way, when, when you have needs, by the way, all the way through the wilderness wanderings, what happened to their clothes? They never wore out. I mean, that's amazing. Think about some shoes that never wear out. I like floor shine shoes for, for like my Sunday black, you know, black shoes and so forth, but they wear out. They don't last on very long. Imagine 40-year-old pair of shoes. They didn't wear out. God was gracious to them, he, uh, and he was proving them, I want a relationship with you. You can worship me. You can serve me. Trust me. And you can tell the other nations. And they should have. And they've messed up even here in the book of Numbers uh, about that. God was teaching them how to be his. In, in, in New Testament lingo, if you will, God was discipling this nation. He was bringing them to himself. All the way through the book of, uh, of, of Numbers. Uh, numbers is broken down into five different sections. And here's, here it is. It's kind of easy if you think of it this way. There's three different locations that are key in the book of Numbers. And they're connected with two road trips. Three locations, three wilderness locations, and two road trips. And we're going to break those down and talk about them for a couple of moments here. And so we find in chapters 1 through 10, they're down at Sinai. Right around there, they're, they're receiving the law. They are camped out down there at Sinai, at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula there at Mount Sinai. They're camped out down there. And this is the, the place number one, or the section number one where they are before they will take a road trip. Here at Mount Sinai, they've received the covenant. They, they have the Ten Commandments. They receive instruction about the tabernacle and how that was going to be laid out. And they also uh, had a census that happened as well as they were organized. Now, I want you to notice, and I'm going to remind you about this, this camp structure here, uh, here at Sinai that they received, how they were told to set up their camp around the tabernacle. Give me that picture of, a, uh, uh, of, the, of the setup. All the way around the tabernacle, God, in a very orderly way, set up the camp. He was the one that gave this. And when I was in college and would go to college chapel and also uh, to, uh, to the dining hall for, uh, for lunch and for 
uh, supper, they had assigned seating. You say, that's crazy. Well, that's what they did. And so we had assigned seating. And so it changed from time to time. And they were trying to, to you know, mingle the, on the, the college around and so on. And we had assigned seating. That was set. You didn't, you didn't debate it. It was just set. And they had reasons for it and, and so on. God had assigned camping for these people. Uh, and this is, it was just set. That's how God set it up. Now, something we can learn from this is where is God in this picture? He is right in the center. You know, God does nothing by accident. God was right in the center. And also remember this, we've said this several times, that how God dealt with Israel as a people, as one million plus people, is how God deals with a New Testament believer today. And so the lesson that you and I can learn right from this is God wants to be at the center of my life. He wants to be right at the center of my priorities, at the center of my ambitions, at the center of my prayer. Everything needs to be centered on God and around God. And so he set this up. And notice he had the priest in close proximity there, the Kohathites, those, these were the people that helped get the, uh, uh, get the temple set up and, and so on. So he has all the way around are the people that were key to the to the mission of the tabernacle, to the setup of the tabernacle, the service of the tabernacle, and so on. And then you had the other tribes all the way around. God put his, uh, his house, his tabernacle, right in the center. And when he would move his people, do you remember how he would lead them? Do you remember how he would lead them? How did they know to move from one place to the other during these, these wilderness wanderings? He led them by day, by a pillar of cloud, by day, and by night, a pillar of fire. Um, that's how he showed his presence. And so in reality, uh, we, can, we can see right here, even in the, the book of Numbers, we can see how that God uh, showed us Jesus Christ as that one who is the pillar of, uh, of, of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, the one who leads, that visible presence uh, right there in, uh, in the book of Numbers. So uh, when they would walk, when they would journey, when they would go from Mount Sinai or the Sinai area up to Paran, up to Kadesh Barnea area on that, that road trip, they would be led by the pillar of cloud and the ark would be in front with the Levites and then Judah and the other tribes would follow. Even the way they traveled, they, God had an order to how they traveled. God is a God of order. And you know what? In our lives, so many times our lives get out of order, right? And they, they naturally, naturally lean that way. But God is a God of order, and we have to constantly uh, remember that as we bring our life in order with, with God. So as they leave Sinai, um, there, were, there were great times that were happening, but it all kind of fell apart within a few days. As soon as things didn't go their way, what happens? They begin to murmur. They begin to complain. And they get up to uh, Kadesh Barnea. And I want you to see uh, sections uh, three through four, how they, they arrive at Paran up in the Kadesh Barnea area and they send out the, they send out the, uh, the, the uh, spies into the land of Canaan uh, to see that. I have another uh, couple of maps that will help us to see that. Uh, show, uh, there it is. They send right out of Kadesh Barnea. That's the area of Paran. They send this, uh, the, the, the spies all the way up. Now, you see a lot of that is uh, modern day is where modern day Israel is, and so these spies are going all the way up, and they're they're trekking through there. Twelve spies, and they're trekking through, and they're looking at the the giants and all the people of the land, and they're up there uh, looking at what's what's happening. And when they come back, they were bringing back the grapes. You, you remember the size of the grapes? 
Remember the size of the grapes? They were big. I, I can't imagine that. I don't know if those type of grapes are anywhere else in the, uh, in the, in the world, but the grapes of Eshkel, do I have that right? The grapes of Eshkel? And I believe they were, they were uh, something like this, if, if I understand the sizing that was given. But they, they were large. And what God had shown them as they came back bearing those is this, that this land was full of plenty. And it's a plenty you didn't work for. It's a, a land that I want to give you. It's a promised land I want to give you if you'll simply by faith go and access it. And what a beautiful uh, thing that God was offering to them. The two, um, two of the spies uh, were ready to go in. Ten of the spies were not. Uh, we have the old uh, children's song. It's not, it's, it's not only a children's song. Uh, two were good and ten were bad, right? Uh, and and what, a, what a 12 men went to spy on Canaan, uh, uh, two were good and 10 were bad, I think that's how it goes. And it, 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 it kind of captures what, what was going on in that time. It's amazing that how many people uh, in that situation were not for believing God. And it even happens in our, in our day and in our time where often the majority is against believing God and expressing faith in God. It's the minority that says, you know what, we believe God can do it. And Joshua and Caleb were those, um, those two good spies. They wanted, to, um, the people wanted to go back. Oh, boy, we can't go into this land. We can't take it. Let's go back into the world. Let's just go back and live a life that's con more convenient. They forgot that they were in bondage there, that it wasn't so pleasant to be in the land of, uh, of Egypt. They were in bondage. There were uh, slave masters and so on. So they refused God's leader. They refused God's plan. And God gives them their own way. And this generation wanders and dies in the wilderness and their children enter into the land. Think about that. Because they didn't believe God, they wander and die. Their lives were very, very much in vain. They were empty. They, had, they did not have much purpose because of their unbelief in God. And so this part of the story just reminds us that God is sovereign. And uh, he will also, though, honor our choices. He, he gave us a free will. It's amazing what we can circumvent by making a choice that is against God. And they, they chose to disobey him and waste their lives. And so that leads us into section number 5, chapters 22 through 20, uh, 36, and they arrive in the area of Moab. So let's go back to, those, uh, to that, that map there. They're arriving up in Moab uh, uh, there. They've gone through the, um, the Edom area, and they arrive up in Moab. And this is a very, very interesting time in the, the history of, of uh, Israel. As they arrived there, Moses uh, had a moment of pride, a moment of rebellion. Yes, even Moses. The Bible calls him the meekest man, the one who had uh, much strength under control. But uh, when the people were rebelling and complaining, and he, God told him to speak to the rock, he strikes, he strikes the rock, and water does come out, but he disobeyed, he disobeyed God and the instruction God gave in providing people, the people of Israel, uh, water in the wilderness. And so from that moment, Moses is forbidden. He cannot go into the promised land. And you think about that. He led them out of, out of Egypt. He leads them, goes through all that pain of leading them, all the ups and downs of that, leading a complaining, murmuring group of people. And then by one decision, as the leader, he... He is, he is withheld from going into the promised land. That's an amazing thing. And so the people rebel uh, up here in this area uh, is a part of the story. 
They're attacked by poisonous snakes. That's where we get the illustration in John chapter 3 and verse number 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up. And so what a beautiful picture. God told him to make a brazen serpent lifted up on a, on a pool, on, a, on a, a, a pool of wood. And all that would look would live, and those that would refuse to look by faith would not live. All these stories of complaining and rebellion are in spite of God's goodness to provide. They were constantly being provided for. Every single day, manna was coming down. They were being taken care of, yet they rejected all that God was doing, all the direction, all the water, all the manna, and they kept on saying, we wish we had died in Egypt. We wish we could be back in the world. We have to be careful of the same thing. We have to be careful of, of saying, you know, it's better. The world has it better than us. What does the psalmist say? Fret not thyself because of evildoers who prosper in the way, who seem to prosper in the way. You look around us, well, they seem to have all the money. They seem to have all the fun. That's exactly what Israel was doing. You know, the church today has, has its eyes on the world in many ways. We as a church have our eyes on the world. We want what they have in order to be happy. You know, if I have that, I'll be happy. God says, no, 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 you, I am your provider. I am the one who will unquench, uh, uh, quench your thirst. I am the one who will bless you and give you fulfillment and effectiveness in life. And so God refuses to give up on this, this very complaining and wandering people. He continues to deal with them. But as they arrive in Moab, uh, the king of Moab is upset. He doesn't, he doesn't much like this group of people that is camped out on his borders. And so he calls up this, this hires this prophet, Balaam. Now, Balaam is just a mystery. And wouldn't you agree? Balaam is just a mystery. Like, who is this guy? I have more questions about him when I get to heaven to figure out exactly uh, all, all that he was. But he was an interesting guy. And Balak, King Balak, uh, uh, calls him up and uh, asks him to come. You remember, uh, God said, don't go. And uh, he, was, he was like a, a hound on a leash wanting to go. And so they went back and, and, and to the king, and he sends them back, and, and he's just he's chomping at the bits. I want to go. Why? Because he wants the money. He wants the notoriety. He wants this, um, this opportunity. And finally God says, well, if they're there in the morning, then you, know, you, you, can, you can go. Well, they were off, uh, you know, off on their way already, and so he was bummed. Well, he ends up, he ends up just going along. And, uh, and you, know, you might know the story. Is he, he goes along, he's riding his donkey, and, and the angel of the Lord um, keeps standing in his way and, and causing the, the donkey to go off to the side of the road or go up against the, um, the, the rock wall. And, and boy, I mean, he's getting mad as he is being withstood by the angel of the Lord. And uh, you think about how that it gets to that third time, and he beats his donkey, and then the donkey talks back to him. You remember that part of the story? The donkey talks back to him. I'll tell you the first time that I, I preached a message, a guy came up to me in my church, and uh, he said something like this in my ear. He says, he goes, God could speak through a donkey. He can speak through you. Something like that. Uh, but you know, what an amazing story. God is working, and he's trying to withhold Balaam from going, uh, um, going up there, but he keeps going. You know, sometimes we can get really stubborn in our own way, can't we? And that's Balaam. He is stubborn. He's going to go there no matter what. And so what's amazing is every time he goes, uh, goes there, he tells um, Balak, hey, I can only say what God tells me to say. So he gets up there all primed and ready to curse Israel and you know, to declare this curse upon Israel. And every time he gets up there, all three times, he, he, he gives blessings to them. 
And you know what's amazing? The blessing, the third time, the blessing that he gives to them is one of a coming victorious king. And he prophesies of Jesus Christ. Isn't God amazing? Like he really is. And so we read Numbers 20, uh, 23 and verse 21, and he, you see how that he gives a blessing to them and how that, that God is looking upon, upon Israel and he, he isn't seeing this iniquity. What a, what a beautiful picture of God's love and his care, his covering of sin uh, there upon the nation of Israel. Uh, Numbers chapter 24, and he gives this wonderful, uh, wonderful prophecy of Jesus out of uh, there shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab. How would you like to have been the king sitting and listening to this? That's exactly you know your your land is going to be uh, is going to be dominated by this one that rises out of Israel. This isn't how this is supposed to go, Balaam. And he's prophesying of Jesus Christ coming. God is not giving up on his people. And you know what's amazing? The way that that Balaam actually caused the people to sin as the bible says in the new testament he literally caused them to sin he could not utter a curse against them but he told the king hey listen if you allow your women to go down into the camp you can you can win the hearts of the men and cause them um, to go into idolatry and 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 sexual sin and that's exactly what um, they did and the people of israel turned and sinned greatly before god and while they were in idolatry worshiping uh, false gods and they were fornicating in the uh, in the hills of moab god was prophesying that he would send a savior to deal with their sin now that's amazing love right there that's amazing that that god that god would still unconditionally love his people that were sinning wildly against him so as we come to the end of numbers there's another census God uh, prepares Moses for death. Joshua is prepared for leadership. And the people go uh, in and fight for the land. And so we come to the end of Numbers, and we cover 30 years of time of them wandering around in the wilderness and right before uh, they get to go into the promised land. So let's just think about some takeaways. First of all this, let's remember that distrust and disobedience will always result with wandering through life. My distrust, my disobedience, my unbelief will always result in me wandering through life. How many times as believers do we feel aimless? I don't know where I'm going. I don't feel fulfilled. You know, sometimes it goes back to a moment where we chose not to believe God. We didn't choose to believe him for our family. We didn't choose to take his word and elevate it this is, this is how our family's going to run. This is how we're going to lead our children. This is how we're going to discipline our children. This is how we're going to, whatever the case may be, this is how I'm going to go forward by faith through this trial. And we begin to wander because we choose not to believe or we choose to disobey. And how many times in our own lives can we find that to be happening? And oh, that God would help us to be sensitive to that and turn away from disobedience and turn away from distrust. Uh, this book shows us that God is faithful all the way through. God never gives up on his people. I'm thankful for that. Very thankful for that. Uh, let's think about this. God calls us to order and to organize our lives around him, with him at the center. Everything wor- uh, revolving around him. Is your life is your life in order, and is God at the center of your life? Or is God on the outskirts of your life? 
Is he just kind of a, a spoke in your life? Or is he at the center? Is he the center hub? And we learn that from the people of Israel. God wants to be at the center. My worship needs to revolve around him. My, everything needs to revolve around my relationship with him. Number three, God intends to be our leader and our guide all the way through the wilderness of life. And he can. And you know what? He will always provide on that journey. We don't have to worry. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. God, number four, is blessing and protecting us even when we're dishonoring and displeasing him. He's watching over us even on our worst days. And that's an encouragement because we do stray. I stray. And we get all cattywampus in our spiritual life, right? And we get, and we get away from him in our thinking. And because he is good, uh, he is always blessing and protecting and caring. He's trying to bring us back to himself. Over and over throughout the book of Numbers, we see him bringing, it, uh, bringing chastisement to bring them back to him. What was the whole thing about the poisonous snakes? Hey, look and live. Your true, your true salvation, your deliverance is in Jesus Christ. Your, your sustenance, your continuance in life is all because of Jesus Christ. And so he's teaching them over and over throughout this book, and what a wonderful story it is. And so as we, maybe you're uh, going through the 90-day challenge, you'll come through the book of Numbers and read it with those categories, those five different uh, sections in mind, the, the three locations and the two road trips there uh, that will help you to break down the, the book of Numbers for you, and I hope that that guide is a helpful, uh, helpful to you. Let's thank God for being so good to us through the wilderness of life. Thank you, dear Father, for your goodness to us, no matter how far we stray away from you. And I, I'm amazed at how, how loving and patient you were with the children of Israel. And Lord, I don't think I would have been as patient. And I, I'm amazed that you're that patient with me. And so thank you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your care for us. Now, Lord, as we go our separate ways, we do pray that you would bless us, that you would strengthen us, help us to honor you. And we pray for our buses tonight as they travel home, protect them, and go with us. Help us to, in all of our connections the rest of this week, may we promote you to this world that needs you so very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.